everybody. It's Love Happy Happy to be here. We're having a few problems. Sorry we're running about a minute late, but Blog Talk Radio was getting besieged, I think, by calls, and I couldn't get into my own radio show. They locked me out. They know me too well. (laughs) Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Keeping It Human Improvised Marketing Show. Again, I am your host, Kathy Clotes Guest, and I am seated in the epicenter right in the heart of Silicon Valley. So you know it as uh, Google and Facebook land. Uh, it's the home of, uh, of tech and so many other things and Internet and, and lots of other things. Um, I am the founder of Keeping It Human. And so our show, as always, is a jargon-free zone. We don't like jargon monoxide poisoning. We discourage that, either me using buzzwords or our guests using buzzwords. We like to keep things light, have a lot of fun, talk about some really substantial issues, And Keeping It Human is all about abolishing boring marketing, storytelling, ideas, getting rid of all that stuff. My latest book is Stop Boring Me, and you can pick that up on Amazon.com. All right, now we're getting going. So I hope it's beautiful wherever you are. This show usually airs at 3.30 p.m. Pacific Time and uh, on most Thursdays. So today I am the guest. Next week we'll be back with another guest. We're, we're hoping to, to nail down a, um, Josh Burnoff. We've had some scheduling issues, but here we go. I want to talk about the dark side of brand storytelling. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you know, since this is not a new topic, this is not a new topic. Those of us who are story practitioners and those of us who have to do stories, if you work in branding, if you work in marketing, um, those of us who have to create content, um, those of us who do speaking, I also do a lot of narrative storytelling. Um, I've written speeches. I've also um, done one-woman shows. I have done all kinds of, of narrative in different formats. And those of us who do narrative and storytelling for a living – Understand that there are ethical responsibilities that come with storytelling because storytelling is very powerful. And one of the reasons that, and I've talked about this before on my blog, on Keeping It Human, um, on the blog there, but I had a, a, a sort of a, a wake up call. Um, not that, again, I, I didn't know that this has been happening, and I've talked about it many years, but it struck me in the wake of this election, when we talk about narratives that win, there's a dark side to it. And I think it's really important to talk about. So the day after the election, uh, last week, last Wednesday, I wrote a piece on LinkedIn, and I talked about the need narrative congruence. And Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how, as, as storytellers, we have to understand where people are at in their need and in that, in that hierarchy to be able to speak to the need. And I also did a video about it and got a lot of feedback. A lot of people went, oh, my gosh, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. And I've written about it in the book, Stop Boring Me. I have a whole chapter on this because it's really foundational in my mind to understanding great storytelling. And I did a lot of thinking about it, and then on Thursday, a day later, um, I was uh, speaking at an event in Silicon Valley, and I was t- talking to executives, and I was telling them about this idea of, of, of 
understanding that that need and speaking to the need of our audiences. And it was two days after the election, so everybody was kind of raw. California is a, is, is a blue state. <laughs> Not that we don't have some, some folks that are red, and I don't like blue-red delineations, but it is a, a blue state. And there was a lot of um, discussion and questions about narrative structure. So here's what I've said um, in my videos and in, in my talk that I gave last week, and, and here's what I said in, my, in the blog posts. We have to understand that where you target that story can either be manipulative or not. Now, we have to understand that Trump's narrative was very simple. It was a simple narrative and simple works. So in some ways, he had the, the better narrative, if better, I define as simpler, than yes. I also think there's fewer... Uh, constituents, um, there's so, so much diversity under the, the democratic tent that it's hard to reduce everything to a single narrative. That's a, that's a whole other issue. And Trump's narrative was simple. And simple carries and has legs. And that helped. It was emotional. That helped. There's a handful of reasons why Trump's narrative resonated. But here's the thing I talked about. When you are uh, at the bottom of the hierarchy of needs pyramid, in other words, that first layer is security. That first step is security. So physical, economic, psychological, your security is paramount. When you feel that threatened, you are open to messages that speak to that. And it's very, very raw. When you're hitting somebody's fear of their own security, and their fear about their lack of security, it can easily be manipulated. That's, that's the struggle here. So we know now, looking at the numbers, that a lot of working class communities voted for Trump. There's deep worry in this country about the shrinking middle class. There's deep worry about economic security and jobs, jobs that are being outsourced. Now, it's not that necessarily that immigrants are taking those jobs. Quite, quite the opposite. If we look at the facts, we know that A, some jobs are going overseas. They're being outsourced. B, some people's skill level is not keeping up with, their skill levels are not keeping up with the demands for technological abilities. It's not keeping pace with the needs. And then we also know that some jobs are being automated. We, we know that. And here's, I think, what happened in part is that part of the narrative from the Trump campaign spoke to that base fear of security and, and, and a feeling that people didn't have security. And this is the, 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 a really important point. You know, I think, I think Hillary's camp spoke to more aspirational storytelling further up the pyramid. And if you are at that lower level worried about your job, you don't have headspace. That's not your priority further up the food chain. You may care about community and belonging and looking out for your neighbor, but when you're feeling that your very economic security and well-being is being threatened, you're not thinking about the aspirational merits further up the hierarchy. You're just not. Because that's not what's most pressing to you. So our need, our most urgent need, our most pressing need is where the pain is. And that's what gets our attention. The issue is when you're talking about people's need for security, you're touching on something primal. Because when people feel threatened, we have a, 
very much a flight or fight response, even if <laughs> the threat is not it may be real. What matters is is that it's perceived. It's per- a perceived threat. Real or imaginary doesn't matter. When people have a perceived threat to their existence, they react. We're talking limbic system. We're talking lizard brain. It's very, very fundamental. And there's a tendency for those types of needs to be manipulated And it can be manipulated in political storytelling, political narrative. It can be manipulated in brand storytelling. So one of the ethical, I think, things that that I really feel strongly about is that, yes, Trump's campaign had the simpler narrative, but I would also argue that it erred on the side of manipulation. And you don't have to manipulate. You can stick to and, and appeal to that security need by lifting people up. And I think it's a very, very dangerous thing when you appeal to fear and you stoke fear. And I believe part of this divisiveness was created to win. So yes, Trump's campaign won with the simpler narrative in the short run. But here's the problem. Now we move to the long run and we have to pull the country together and the divisions that were created, and I think they they weren't necessarily created, but they were exacerbated by the rhetoric, are really hard to heal. Now we've got these very deep chasms we need to pull together, but the rhetoric was so divisive and so sharp that it makes pulling together hard because a lot of the rhetoric stoked fear. It riled up a base that was operating at the that lower level of the pyramid feeling really worried about their jobs. Now, of course, there are voters that voted for Trump that they're not racist. They're not, they're, not, they're not any of those things. These are hardworking people that are scared. And I think you can see how easily it can happen where a narrative can be manipulated. So as, as whether it's, it's you know, branding of, of political candidates or it's branding of, of businesses and products, we have to be very aware that when we are working at certain levels of human need, we have to remember that when we make an emotional plea to somebody who's feeling insecure, there, there can be manipulation. There can be. It doesn't have to be that way, and it shouldn't be that way, but it can be exploited. And it happens all the time. You, you're on the receiving end in business of emails that say, what, I can't believe you haven't bought yet. I've sent you all these emails. Or, wait, don't wait till it's too late. You're missing the train. The train is leaving. Your business is going to fail. And we play into these fears. And I've seen marketers do this. And so forget politics for just a minute. This happens in marketing of businesses and products, and it's incredibly manipulative. They're playing on the scarcity model, and they're playing on people's fear, and it is exploitative. So what's going to happen if you sell based on fear? But what happens when that person figures out, when all those voters figure out that, wow, now we're stuck with this division, and what was promised isn't what we're going to get? You've lost credibility. That's very difficult. That's very difficult to sustain in the long run when you manipulate, and you manipulate a narrative to sell. You might have a short-term win, but that long-term, that long-term relationship is sacrificed, and marketing is always about that longer-term relationship. So I, I've seen a lot of posts, and, and I was having discussions with some friends of mine who are practitioners today, and we were all talking about it. And 
you know, I don't I don't think any story practitioner that I've seen has endorsed the way Trump's camp handled it. They're not endorsing it. I think they're simply saying, look, the simpler narrative won. And I think if we're just looking at at, at simpler and less complex, that is true. I also believe that it was simpler, but a lot of fear was stoked unnecessarily. And what could have happened, it's not inconsistent. Um, you know, ethics, ethics should have, have prevailed here. And I think you can have a narrative that speaks to that fear but lifts people up. Look, hey, we, we recognize that you're worried about jobs, and we have a plan. We have a plan. And details about a plan could have been given. They weren't. Instead, we, you know, that, that, that uh, we heard consistently the fear mongering around immigration and security of the borders. And we, we sort of played up these fear factors, and that gets people riled up. So there's an ethical way to lift people up after recognizing that there's a fear. Okay, we're speaking to your fear. We've got your attention. Now, how do we pull that up? How do we lift you up so that you feel hope, not to stoke in a message of, of fear? We've got to secure the borders. We can't let certain people in the country. We've got to, you know, um, have people who want to immigrate fill out, you know, all kinds of forms, and we've got to round everybody up and deport them. That further stokes the fear around security. And you can see how that got played a little bit. So um, I think that's a really important point that I wanted to touch on. That's one big trap, is making sure that if you do speak to a baseline need of security in your products or services or anything brand, um, you know, related to brand storytelling, that you're really cognizant of your responsibility as a storyteller to, if you hit that nerve, Understand that it does come with an ethical responsibility to provide a solution to not keep people at a place of fear because the long-term relationship depends on optimism and hope. People need to know that there's a way out. So be careful. Be very careful of stoking that baseline bottom layer of the hierarchy of need. You can rile it up, and it can be very effective in the short run. But in the long run, you will burn credibility and a relationship. So make sure you understand that trade-off. It's really important. And, again, this is not just specific to political uh, branding. It just so happens that in the last week we've had this huge example. And I, I think it's important for all of us to understand um, what that responsibility is. That's one big trap. So, again, the need, the need um, uh, congruence with narrative. The second trap I see people fall into is, and I see this a lot, is we're going to save you. We're the savior complex. And I wrote a post about this a year ago because I have done some work with some nonprofits, and it's the, um, uh, you know, the, the Jesus complex or the Savior complex. We're the white knight on a horse, and we're going to come save you because you you can't save yourself. You're incapable. And sometimes brand stories can get very preachy, and instead of helping people recognize their own heroism and their own efficacy to, to be part of the solution, it's that white knight syndrome. And that's very dangerous, and it has a backsplash. That's, that's the second trap that I want to talk about. It looks like this. You know, um, I'm going to give an example here, and I, I, I know they've worked on it, but years ago, Charity Water was criticized heavily for going into places where they were trying to make things better and coming in and we're going to save you. And they had very little regard for the NGOs, the, the non-government um, uh, organizations that were already 
ensconced in these places who had already made progress and knew the local customs and knew the local laws and were working collaboratively with local governments to try to make changes to to drinking water. And Charity Water came in and kind of were the white knight, and that was the story. But it robbed communities that they operated in of taking any responsibility for their own agency and having any efficacy or feeling like they were empowered to to make the changes themselves. So that savior complex can backfire, and it can backfire in a huge way. The company was heavily criticized, and it had to change, and it had to back off. Now, in the last couple of years, in in talking to different people and different groups that, that have worked with Charity Water, I know that Charity Water has made a lot of progress and changes to try to make things better. So they are working collaboratively now. I think they've changed their approach significantly. They're working collaboratively with NGOs that are already already deeply embedded in these areas. And the story is not one of, hey, we're going to save you, and this is important. It's, hey, we're here to collaborate with you. Big, big difference. When you come in with brand storytelling as a, the white knight coming to save everybody, it's sort of, it's, it's, it polarizes people. Understand that what it says is you need saving. You can't save yourself. I'm the one with all the answers. Does that sound familiar? Only I can save you? Yep. Yeah, that, we just had a political campaign and a candidate that said that too. So be very, very wary of that kind of storytelling. It has a huge tendency to backfire and polarize. So that's, I think, another area where just – just ethics, we have to understand that, um, you know, those kinds of things. And you see them, you see them in, in political, um, you know, brand storytelling. You see them in, in a lot of uh, nonprofit storytelling. But you can also see them in for-profit storytelling, too, which we have all the answers. And, um, you know, we'll save you. Um, we are the fix. We are the perfect fix to all your problems. And that, that kind of savior uh, complex, just I think it alienates in a lot of ways um, more than it can help. So just be careful of that tendency. And if you find yourself doing a lot of um, uh, savior uh, complex stories <laughs> and you're not getting traction, this is your wake-up call as to why. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just just remember that it's really a collaboration with your customers, and and not a patronizing, paternalistic um, kind of approach. All right, so that's that's the second trap. And the, again, these are all things that I see a lot in all the work that I've done over the years. So I think it's important to to, to talk about. All right, another thing I want to talk about, another trap that I see is very much related, and I, you see it in, in nonprofit um, as well, and that is the uh, – but it can be in for-profit, and that is the uh, customer story, the exploitative customer story. And the exploitative customer story um, is this. It's um, – uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a derivative maybe of the, of the white knight kind of story, but it's – think about it in nonprofits. Um, where uh, m- maybe you um, have helped somebody pull themselves up by their bootstraps and you've given them aid, but you're telling their story in hopes of increasing donations. That's not a bad thing. I mean, nonprofits run on donations and grants and all these things. Not a bad thing. But the way that it can be done can be exploitative. So you have to be very careful that you are not diminishing 
the people you serve by exploiting their stories for profit and for gain. But rather, you have to look at them as your client and work with them to figure out how do you tell their story in the best way? How do you protect their confidentiality if they want it, but tell their story in such a way that shows that your nonprofit or your organization is doing a lot of good in the world? But you've got to make it their story, and you're the enabler. You're just the helper. But you, you need to make sure that you're respecting the dignity of your clients. And that's really important. I've seen some storytelling out there that has made me wince, um, that, that has been, I think, a little bit on the exploitative side. And you see it sometimes in for-profit, in, in for too. It's um, without us, um, this company would be lost. And that's probably not true. And yeah, <laughs> um, or you know, you over-exaggerate your claims. Um, you know, you may have saved a company, uh, you know, from making a really big uh, mess of it of things, or you may have pulled it back from the brink and helped it tremendously. But it's making sure that your claims are really, really commensurate with the help that you offered. So. That third trap is it, it's sort of an interesting one because it looks different depending on if it's for profit or non profit. But make sure that you're honoring your client and keeping that story accurate and proportional. And if you're in non profit and you're serving people who maybe are um, disenfranchised or marginalized, it's really important that the dignity of their story is honored and it's not become some kind of exploitative thing. And, and it can be easily done without intending to. Just it, It's a, one of those fine lines about making sure that you're empowering them to live their best life and succeed versus using their story to, to uh, grow your, your operating budget. So <laughs> it's that fine line of just respecting their confidentiality, respect, respecting them as human beings who are, who are growing and evolving, and finding that, that balance in doing it. Um, and those are always tricky balances. And the same thing with, with uh, for-profit storytelling. You know, when you kind of exaggerate your claims, you're really – you're you're doing a couple things. Not only are you um, you're hurting your own credibility, but I think you're hurting the relationship with your customer. So keep it really proportional. A customer story doesn't have to be perfect and have a perfect ending with a bow on it to be a great story. So non-exaggerated claims, and that's why I like to tell stories through the lens of my customers. Let the, I want to hear it in their words and let them tell the story because they're going to tell it in the way that, that is most important to them. It's probably going to be commensurate with their view of reality, not yours, and sometimes they're different. So the ethical thing to do is make sure that your customer says, yeah, that's right, that's how you helped me, and that claim is about right, and it's it's proportional and it's accurate. So those are really, I know I'm talking about a lot of things, but those are the big three things. And there's a lot more that I could talk about, but we only get about a half an hour to talk about all this stuff. And, and I'll talk about it more. Um, and I'd love your feedback. You know, what are the ethical things that you see out there that brands are doing? What, what are the storytelling traps that frustrate you? Because uh, there's a ton of them out there. And, you know, just to summarize really quickly, it's that first one is just that, that need narrative congruence. 
if you're going to hit a really, really powerful need that hits the lizard brain, you're, you're getting people emotional and riled up. You have to give them somewhere to go with that energy. So if you're, if you're going to hit that nerve, that, that, that baseline lizard brain, you've got to give them a way to improve or to see that there's optimism for their for the situation to change. Don't stoke it, the fear. If you keep stoking the fear, you're hurting you're hurting the relationship. That's number one. Number two, be careful of the, the savior complex. You are probably not the antidote to all your customers' problems. I got news for you. <laughs> You're a product they use, and maybe they really like you. But I have a feeling you haven't solved their marital you know, woes. You haven't made them better looking, unless you're cosmetics, and then maybe you can say that. But probably your customers are already beautiful, don't need it. So be careful about, you know, trying to like, you know, have these blanket, if it wasn't for us, they would have fallen off the face of the earth. That kind of stuff is just crazy. So that that's the second thing. Just make sure you're not, you know, using the savior or white knight complex in your storytelling. And finally, make sure you're respecting the dignity of your, your customers and your constituents. It's especially easy to fall in that trap when you're trying to save the world. And again, Jesus complex, the, the savior complex. If you're, all your stories are about trying to save the world, you lack proportionality, and you can also compromise maybe your, your customers that you serve because they don't see it that way, and you're robbing them of efficacy and, and their humanity. So be careful about that with nonprofits. And then for profit on that side, make sure that your proportionality, that your claims are commensurate with reality, that the way that you've helped your customers are exactly the way you've helped them and that they would agree to that. Super, super important. Seems super obvious, and it is obvious, but it's amazing. We're talking about it because we see how easily narratives can be manipulated for good. You know, people mean well sometimes to raise funds for their for their constituents to help more people, but they can be exploitative in the way that they do that. So stories can be manipulated for good, and they can be manipulated for, for divisiveness and and bad. And so it's really the narrative structures themselves are not bad. It's how we use them. So let's make sure that we're using them responsibly, with dignity, with humanity, with insanity, <laughs> my favorite, um, with humor where it's appropriate because it's really important um, to make sure that we're, we're, you know, if we if we have a, a sense of humor about our own narrative and ourselves, I think that that works. So those are the things I wanted to discuss today. I'm going to post this on the blog, uh, Kathy's blog. Uh, it'll be up there probably tonight or first thing in the morning. And uh, let me know what you like, what you think, what bothers you. We'll do another one of these, and maybe I'll, I'll bring out a guest to talk about it because there's just so much. I think storytelling is gone through this big renaissance and it's always been important but it's just this huge explosion in brand storytelling and while we're seeing a lot of good stuff we're also seeing a lot of of the negative stuff where uh, things could be manipulated and there's just unfortunately far too many tactics that uh, brand storytellers are using that just I don't think are, um, are I don't think not only are they not ethical in my in my view they don't build a lasting relationship they hurt they hurt they hurt not only your customers, but they hurt brand storytellers too. They hurt your company. So we deserve better, and I'm, I believe that brand storytellers, all of us, should hold ourselves to a higher standard because I think we're, we're capable of that. So uh, that's it, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next time on the Keeping It Human uh, Improvised Marketing Show. Today was truly improvised. 
Um, and uh, look for more guests in December, and uh, I'll be announcing next week some new uh, guests that we'll have in the new year. So take care, everybody. All right, I'm keeping it human. You keep it human, too. Bye-bye.